supporting you in your dog parenting journey. The Dynamic Dog Owner with Debbie Potter. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Dynamic Dog Owner. Today's episode is inspired by a question I was asked in puppy class a couple of weeks ago and it's based around why training in a non-real life environment is really important. So the question I was asked was, this is great in practice here, but this isn't going to happen in a real life situation. So what do we do? And I thought it was an absolutely brilliant question and a really, really valid point. I personally love it when people ask questions, because if you're asking questions, it means you're thinking. You're thinking about what we're learning, you're thinking about what we're doing or what you're doing and you're challenging things and going well why is that and I believe that if you ask questions you actually get a better learning experience and often especially when I'm teaching people in real life I have to give a quick answer because we're on a bit of a time frame and the podcast obviously gives me an opportunity to really explore these topics in much more detail and talk a subject through a lot more so that's what we're going to do today so yes attending classes with your dog, practicing in your garden, um, it isn't necessarily a real life environment, but it is incredibly important. Now, yes, I appreciate in a glass environment, we try and create a controlled environment. So it isn't real, but it's as hopefully as real life as possible. So whether that be in a puppy class, in an adult training class, in any training class, we try and simulate a real life environment. So I personally like to train outside because most of our dogs will spend a lot more time outside than they would, for example, in a village hall. So that's personally why I like to train outside because I believe it creates more or simulates more of a real life environment. So why? Why do we want to simulate and practice in a perfect, controlled environment and one of the main reasons I find it's extremely beneficial is that everybody in that environment can predict what will happen so everybody knows what the expectations are everybody knows what the rules are it makes your life and your dog's life just a little bit easier we know that dogs are on lead um, and they're not necessarily going to practice unwanted behavior They know that everybody is working on the same task. So in a group class, most of you, yes, you may have slightly different exercises to somebody else in your class, especially if it's like a mixed ability class, but all of you are there with the same goal in mind. You want to develop your dog's skills. And for majority of people, that is, ignore other dogs, ignore other people, focus on me no matter what's going on in the environment. Now, everybody in the group class is likely to want the same thing because it's an ideal situation to practice that. Equally in a group class, everybody is there to support each other. They want each other to succeed. If a certain dog is struggling, then we can help them. We can be their cheerleader and their supporter. So an ideal controlled environment sets dogs and people up for success. 
Now, obviously, yes, it's not real life because we are controlling the situation by not letting off lead dogs run over to you when you're lead dogs on lead, vice versa, not letting your dog run up to other dogs. We are keeping distance between each other, but it's to help dogs. I like to use um, a swimming pool analogy. So think of when you first learned to swim. Do you just jump in the deep end, cross your fingers and hope you can swim? Some very brave people might, but majority of people are going to test their skills first. They're going to play around in shallow water. They're going to play around with, you know, does the, the water hold my weight? Learning to relax, learning to float, learning to trust the water then gradually learn to develop their skills so that when it comes to being thrown in the deep end, they know they're going to swim rather than sink. And that's what we create in a group class situation or even in a one-to-one -one situation with controlled distractions. Now, as I said, it seems very almost clinical. We're keeping everybody in their boxes and in their little sections and making sure that everyone helps each other. And there's some reasons for that. It's, we appreciate it's not real life. These things aren't going to happen in real life. But firstly, I believe it helps us to educate people, um, dog owners, what is polite behaviour? So this is what we expect as polite behaviour. You know, it's polite if your dog can switch off from other dogs and is not desperately trying to get to them and running across to say hello to other dogs. It teaches people what should happen in an ideal situation um so for example you know with with dogs meeting on lead you know what is polite what should happen in an ideal world if we can control everything and everybody you know is on the same page this is what the ideal situation should look like not because we expect every interaction to be like that because obviously it's not going to be but it does mean that you as a dog handler, dog owner, are then able to recognise when something doesn't quite look as good or as healthy as it should, when it's not ideal. You can equally learn, how do I get out of this situation? How do I intervene? How do I help this situation to become a good situation? So by practising in classes, you are taking away skills and knowledge so you're growing as a person i now know what is polite what isn't polite what i should do if it's starting to go in polite how i should interrupt what i need to do to control not control but to facilitate a healthy situation whether that be dogs interacting recall etc equally it means that you are growing as a person, so you're becoming that dynamic dog owner, which is what we are striving to be. We're striving to improve and to better ourselves to make our dog's life happier. It means you can then apply the things you learn in that ideal controlled situation into real life. Not just to benefit you and your dog, but to benefit other people as well. It's so important to consider that there are other people in the world and being considerate of other people is really important. Um, I personally see it when I'm walking one of my dogs who doesn't like being near, near other people. You've got some people who are quite inconsiderate and will walk into his personal space and affect him. You've got other people who will spot that he's starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable and make that decision to help my dog out by creating distance with theirs. 
Those are the people that have been to training classes, have taken on board and understand that it takes a village to raise a dog. That's another podcast episode. Um, (laughs) But it helps you to consider not just your dog, but everybody's in real life. So you can then make sure your dog is doing well and equally other people's dogs are doing well too because it's not just about ourselves it's about everybody being able to grow and thrive so that's sort of our perspective it's teaching us what to do what looks right what doesn't look right and how to then change those things from our dog's perspective we are in a controlled class environment where yes every situation is engineered slightly um or controlled I I, I mean controlled is a funny word I don't mean controlled as in we are controlling our dogs what I mean is we have a situation that has rules so you know you mustn't go too close to somebody else to put them off you must keep your dog on a lead you are the situation is controlled because each person has the same set of rules and everyone's helping each other out so that's what i mean by controlled just to clarify that um (laughs) so from our dog's perspective what we're doing when we're having a class setting where they're not allowed to practice unwanted behaviors we're building a learning experience rather than what we tend to see happens quite a lot is we wait for our dogs to get it wrong And then we try and fix it or regain their focus when they're already beyond that point. So we're creating a situation where every dog can succeed and every owner can succeed and they can display ideal or desired behaviours. So, for example, if your dog is a little bit distracted by the dog's recalling, we can create a situation where they're not going to ever get to the other dog. They only ever get reward from you. It equally builds a positive sort of bank of experience. Think of uh, experiences you have. If you only ever have good experiences, you tend to look at things a bit more positively. If you have any negative experiences, it puts in that element of, of doubt, quite simply. So then it that can creep into our dog's minds and it's a possibility. So we are creating that positive ideal experiences so that they not don't experience them but have limited experience of the negative or undesired behaviors in terms of sort of recall so the two kind of common things that i feel this applies to the most are recall and interactions with other dogs so in terms of recall in our controlled situation you've got other dogs on lead you've got a history of learning that other dogs did not produce fun in this environment. Um, the only excitement, fun rewards I get are with my human and engaging with my human and come from my human. So it's cool. I can be in this situation. There are other people, there are other dogs, but my human is the most important thing in the world. They have a good, what we call reward history. So in our dog's mind, they go back and go, well, what happened last time? Last time, my human was always the best. We have them on long lines or leads, so they can't choose to make the wrong decision. That way, potentially, that wrong decision 
never kind of enters into their thought process. They go, well, I didn't even know it was a thing. You mean I could choose not to ignore my person? Whereas once they've done it once, they go, ah, it's a possibility. In terms of interactions with other dogs, in a class environment, again, they are quite controlled. Everybody is taught how to interact, what is polite, what looks polite from one dog's perspective. The dogs are taught how to respect each other. Humans learn when to intervene to make sure their dog is being polite and how to get their focus back. Because, again, two dogs interacting, it's helpful if both people are on the same page. If one person's saying, oh, my dog's had enough, and the other one's going, well, my dog's having a great time, Again, it's not going to end well because eventually one of those dogs is going to say, I've had enough. You're going to desperately try to recall your dog away while the other dog is still being allowed to play. So again, it's it's hard. Whereas in a group class, we can practice having interactions, making sure the body language is monitored, making sure we know what we're looking for. And as people, not just me as a trainer, but you as a dog owner can work out what is polite what signs are one dog giving to another to say I've actually had enough of this and helping our dog to recognize that and then make a good decision in response to the other dog's communication if in a group class that's practiced and practiced and practiced we and our dog can develop good polite social skills obviously in real life it's not always going to go to plan um Personally, that's why for me, I try and avoid my dogs saying hello to other dogs on lead because I don't know what the other owners know and I don't want it to go sour. So I tend to keep my dog's social circle quite small um, and majority of people they will walk past and not be able to say hello to and learn to ignore the occasional dog they're allowed to say hello to. But normally they're dogs that I know. So obviously in real life, it's not always going to happen like it would in a group class, let's face it. But what happens by practicing in that controlled environment is when they are in real life and it doesn't quite go to plan once or occasionally twice and they do have a negative experience with another dog where another dog isn't quite polite to them or makes them feel a little bit scared. That's not the only experience they've had because they've had a bank of positive experiences in that controlled situation in class to fall back on. So that when they're faced with that negative, they don't go, well, every dog I see is absolutely terrifying. They go, well, this dog was a little bit scary, but the last 20 dogs I've said hello to in class were actually really nice. So it gives your dog and you a a, a bank. Think of it like a, a store in your money, a bank of experiences, practical skills and practice of what to do in those situations. You've also got exercises and games that you can play that you've practiced that then work in real life so that when your dog does have a small negative experience, it doesn't affect them as much as if they didn't have any positive experiences. Obviously, this wouldn't apply if they have a massive negative experience. Um, So a, a big nasty experience with another dog, because as we know, as people, one traumatic event can stay with us. It can for our dogs, too. But again, with counteracting small negatives with positive experiences, we are helping our dog get things right. So we're not sort of avoiding them, but we're preparing our dogs to show them this is an opportunity. This is what should happen. This is polite. 
this is what you should look out for when you're saying hello to another dog this is what you should do this is what you should listen to and we're showing them by having controlled situations what is ideal and that then helps us and them to take forth all that knowledge that we learn in class into real life now training in real life and training versus controlled environments is very different absolutely it's very different the easiest place to learn a new skill is at home because at home you and your dog are comfortable you're relaxed there's minimal distractions once you've learned something at home then it's time to practice in a training environment so your training environment provides a a safe neutral setting it's a place where I feel safe. I've been here a few weeks. I know how everything works. I know the other dogs, so I'm starting to feel more comfortable. This is how, in this environment, this is how I should feel. This is how I should behave. This is how I should start to feel and think. It's controlled so we can practice getting things right. So it's a one step up from practicing at home. When we can then practice our skills, knowing we're in a safe environment, our confidence grows and our dog's confidence grows and again that bank of positivity and skill builds if you're in a real life situation you don't know what's going to happen you don't know what the other dog's going to do you don't know what the other person's going to do you don't know how the situation's going to pan out sometimes you'll be walking along and then out from around the corner a dog pops out or a, a distraction pops out and you go ah i wasn't expecting that so you then don't have the time to go, ah, huh, cool, let's practice. <laughs> because you're reacting to a distraction rather than proactively working around them. In real life, things don't happen as we plan and some situations then just pop out on us. In a controlled setting, they don't. But we can start in a controlled setting to put in the odd distractions and we can start to orchestrate them a little bit so that we can practice the what-if situations. Equally, training, obviously, with um, a person, a, a trainer, gives you that trainer support. So when you're in these practice, these distracting, controlled situations, which sounds a bit contradictory. Um, <laughs> so when you're in a controlled environment, but you're playing around with distractions, if it doesn't quite go to plan, you can then say to your trainer, well, what should I do in this situation? Why isn't this working? Can I have some feedback? You then have time to learn you don't panic, you don't act on reacting to a problem, you're proactive. And it's say, creating that bank of experiences. The skills that they practice in real life, at home, in controlled environments, in distracting environments, in low distracting real life environments, they then are learning these skills, knowing what to do. And then in that moment in real life, they go, oh, I know exactly what to do because I've done it so many times in classes, in controlled environments that I can ignore whatever's in my environment and I can do it. So think of it a little bit like, um, this is a random analogy, but think of it a little bit like um, a concert pianist. I can't play the piano. Um, never have. Actually, I can play Old MacDonald. That's about it. Um, my sister is a very good pianist, so she can play the piano beautifully. Um, but think of somebody who plays piano professionally as part of a, um, you know, as part of an, in a concert, for example. Um, 
is that when they walk on stage the first time they've ever played the piano in front of millions of people, they go, right, let's sit down. This can't be too hard. Or do they spend years of time learning and practicing and developing their skills? So first they would tend to, no, I'm just talking about what my sister did, um, but she hasn't played anywhere fancy. Um, it, she spent seven years having lessons at home. Actually, I think it might have been even longer than that. So she had lessons with a piano teacher. She then had her own piano at home and would practice every day. And she practiced and she practiced and she practiced. She didn't just play songs or tunes. She learned how to do scales. She learned to read music. She learned about the different notes and timing and rhythms, breaking all of those skills that you need to be a really good pianist down into bite-sized chunks. Learning, learning, learning for years and years and years. <laughs> Eventually, because of how our brains and we like rhythm and, and practicing things, she doesn't need the music to play certain tunes because it's just in her mind and she knows you know, the patterns that her fingers almost just move naturally uh, without thinking because she's practiced a certain tune so many times. So it becomes second nature. Oh, I just picked up, yeah, I'll play this tune today. Um, it's incredible. So you've got all of that learning that takes years and years and years. That's what happens in classes. So in your dog training classes, you are that pianist having your lesson, practicing, breaking skills down into bite-sized chunks, learning about scales and rhythm, learning exercises, learning theories, learning how to break things down, how to help your dog get it right. Once you've got those skills, so once our pianist can learn the piano and play the piano, it's time for them to practice in front of an audience. Do they go to the Royal Albert Hall and go, right, let's play? Or do they start by going, let's have mum's friends round and we'll play to them. Let's play in front of the grandparents. Let's play in front of our class at school. Let's play in front of the whole school. Let's play at a church, in the church um, band or what have you. Gradually, their audience gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So they gain confidence in learning how to perform in front of an audience. And then they can play at the Royal Albert Hall because they've had all that practice. And again, same goes for our dog. We've taught them the skills in easy places, in controlled environments. We then have our mini experience of playing in front of other people so practicing in front of other people our dress rehearsal if you like by going to quiet places and where we know there's you know, no dogs around here that could be a, a dog walking field somewhere new with good smells can we practice those skills here cool it worked amazing let's go to a park where we know there's really only a handful of dogs around it's not a busy place let's practice there can we get it right or oh, it was a bit scary didn't quite get it wrong let's go back and carry on practicing in our controlled environment at the same time and then eventually let's go to the busiest park in the world and my dog can do it all so we're playing in front of a big crowd think of that stages of development our dogs aren't just going to walk into the biggest park full of people and dogs and just do a skill and know how to do it they have to have the years of practice learning breaking down the skills not just them but you too and then gradually building in our distractions our real life distractions or our audience to then help them get better and practice so that eventually like our pianist they can play in front of a big crowd our dog can practice in a hugely distracting environment. Now, for, to make sure it goes well and the performance goes well, 
it all comes down to how much time you have practiced teaching them skills that you would like. So the ideal situations. So, yes, dog training classes are not real life, but they are preparing you and your dog for real life creating a bank of positives, learning, making sure we're creating good patterns of behaviour or ideal, what we'd like them to do in future, to make sure you and your dog succeed. We tend to think of training as setting your dog up for success. So everything starts easy. We want them to succeed. We want them to go, I did that, I did that, I did that, and build their confidence, rather than putting them into big situations where they're going to get it wrong. And that's where one of my favourite sayings comes in. Is it training or testing? So make sure you are training, not testing. Training is where we know our dog can get it right. And we are creating situations where they can succeed. We're minimising the opportunity for them to get it wrong. Testing is when we are crossing our fingers going, I hope this works. So what we need to make sure is that 99% of our time we're training and only 1% we are testing. And the testing is when those unexpected distractions that you've never practiced around happen and you go, I hope this works. So a real life scenario for you. He's my youngest dog, Fred, who we heard about not too long ago. Um, now he is two and he's never been off the lead in public because I don't trust him yet. Um, again, that's a topic for another episode. Um, <laughs> you'll hear me say that a lot. I've got a lot of episodes in the bank. So he's never been off the lead um, purely because he's very, very distracted uh, by everything, <laughs> quite simply. Um, and it's taken him a long time to gain focus on me. He equally loves birds. Being a gun dog, um, he loves birds. He loves chasing them. And he hasn't developed impulse control skills around birds yet. So we tend to do all of our walks in real life on a long line. And he gets to run free in fenced dog walking fields. So either my training space at work or we go and hire places um, for a little bit of variety for him. In those places, he actually doesn't leave my side much. But as soon as he sees a bird, he's off. As soon as he sees another dog, he's a little bit scary. Oh, he's a little bit scary. He's a little bit scared of it. He's a little bit startled. And the same with people. So all I have done for the last two years is train. Train, 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 train. Um, I make sure he gets it right. So he's on a long line. He can't choose the wrong decision. He can only get rewarded for picking me. Until one day when I was leaving work and I had lots of things in my hand and I just opened my boot to put everything and him in the car. And without me realising, a pheasant popped around from behind a bush. First time he'd seen a pheasant. And he pulled and I had so many things in my hand that the lead slipped out and off he went. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> hmm. let's hope this works because I have never tested his recall or I had never tested it until that point. And I went, oh, let's let's see what happens then. Um, so I recalled, I said his recall word. He ignored me completely because he was mid-flight of a pheasant. He was chasing it and like, yeah, this is great. Um, he got to a fence, thankfully, and the, fe the pheasant went over the fence and he went, oh, it's gone. And then he went, where's mum? <laughs> then I used my recall word and it worked. So I'm not more fantastic than a pheasant. But it showed me that that's an area we still need to work on. All of most situations now he's pretty good with with recall. 
It is purely those distractions. And we still practice. So we still train by having him on a long line. Anytime he sees birds, he gets recalled. He's learning new things to do around them. So I that is those odd situations. That's when we test. 99% of the time we need to be training. So we're preparing for real life situations. So yes, that's why our dog training classes or most dog training classes are controlled environments. We teach you the ideal because we want you to get it right and we want your puppy and your dog to get it right. So they have that bank of positive experiences and then they gradually put it into real life situations. Hopefully that has been useful um, and I hope that the person who answered um, the asked, there was a couple of people that asked similar questions in classes um, the last few weeks. So hopefully if they've listened, that's helped them out too. So don't forget, um, it'd be great if you could share this podcast with anybody who might find it beneficial. So anyone with a dog or a puppy who's looking to gain new skills, don't forget to follow us on your listening platform and subscribe if you can. Uh, that way you'll get all the notifications of future episodes when they're released every Tuesday morning. Have a great week thank you for listening to the dynamic dog owner with me debbie potter see you next time